what our mission is and how we're going to do that. Well, I'm very grateful to be here on this show with you at uh, WCPT Radio. We're going against the grain, speaking about a lot of these serious topics in today's world that most people are scared to tread the water on. So we plan to bring them across the water. <laughs> well, and that's it. We're both men on the street, um, yes. you know, out there, grassroots level. You're an activist. I'm a union activist. we got to fight for economic yeah. prosperity and fight together. Um, but we have someone that we're going to uh, really delve into. I mean, we got a Trumpocrat, right? A Trumpocrat? on Progressive Radio. So I know that the uh, former governor of Illinois, Mr. Rod Blagojevich, you know what you're walking into, Rod. Uh, Mr. Governor, are you on with us? I am, Rod, and hello, uh, Pastor Hardiman, and I have to commend you guys. Uh, you yeah. keep your word. The name of your show is Going Against the Grain. Having a former governor who just got out of prison as a guest who's a Trumpocrat, a Democrat for Trump, that is against the grain. <laughs> so, so, so yes. Governor, tell me, what exactly is a Trumpocrat? Is it like the same thing um, where you have to be 18, registered to vote, or do you also have to have your sentence commuted to be part of this uh, exclusive club? No, you don't have to have your sentence commuted to be part of this club. In fact, I was a Trumpocrat before President Trump cut me loose. I was a Trumpocrat when I was sitting in prison watching politics hmm. unfold uh, from afar, faraway place. No, a Trumpocrat is a Democrat who recognizes that today's Democratic Party uh, is a different Democratic Party, the party that used to be uh, the party that looked after the little guy, the party that was it was uh, on the side of the working, uh, of working people, the party that was truly on the side of black lives, has for too long abandoned those traditional constituency groups. Today's Democratic Party is the party of the Wall Street, big corporations, corporate media in the Silicon Valley, uh, and the energy is, ironically, from uh, you know a very aggressive socialist wing of the party, but it's not a party of the middle class or of working people that give working people a chance to get ahead and get into the middle class. Working people like my immigrant father, who was a factory worker, or my working mother. Ironically, President Trump, I think he's a Trump akin. I think he's changed the Republican Party because the Republican Party under President Trump is now the party that's on the side of working people, and it, this is mm. not a Mitt Romney Republican Party, because if this was, uh, you know, Mitt Romney as opposed to Donald Trump, I could never, you know, back that kind of a, a political agenda. Romney, Bush, that Republican Party, I think, is the thing of the past. Trump is realigning politics. He's a transformational figure, very aspirational and highly controversial. I don't think it's going against the grain to say that. Well, you know, uh, Governor Blagorovich, I want to thank you for coming on our show today. But one thing I did some uh, research on you, uh, you're a former boxer, too. I noticed you were a boxer. I noticed that, that energy you have all the time. So tell me a little bit about your boxing days, if you don't mind. This is uh, Brother T.O., Mr. Ceasefire Hardiman, asking, asking you this uh, question here. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Pastor Hardiman. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was. The first time I ever got my name in the Chicago Tribune was when I was uh, 17 or 18 years old. It was, was, I was 18. I think it was February or March of 1975, mm. and uh, I fought the Golden Gloves and uh, at the middleweight, and I won my first fight that night. And uh, my name was in the newspaper, and when I came to school the next morning, Foreman High School, public school in Chicago, I had two black eyes and you know, blood <laughs> burns all over my body, but I was a hero. That's right. Because I got my right. name in a big paper, and I won. And uh, so, you know, boxing is very interesting, Pastor. Uh, it, it's, a, uh, it's a metaphor for life. You learn a lot of valuable life lessons in boxing, and I, you know, I look at what's happened to me, and I wanted, I'd like to say this again uh, to you and to all these listeners, but, you know, I didn't break a single law across a single line. Everything I talked about doing was politics, 
I wouldn't say the things they wanted me to say. I would never give in. I fought back. They threw my ass in prison for 14 years. And mm. lo and behold, eight years into that wretched journey, President Trump, a Republican, reached in to rescue me, a Democratic governor, restore my freedom and reunite me with my daughters and my wife, Patty. Yes. And for that, we'll always be grateful to President Trump. But, you know, what happened to me was a lot like a, a, uh, a, a boxing match. You know, they came out. They sucker punched me. I've been on the ropes right. all these years. <laughs> and, uh, right. Uh, but I've withstood it, and I, I, I frankly feel like uh, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And I, I, I truly believe, because I would never give in to them, and I took the blows, I've gotten back up. Governor, I'm going to step in there, and I'm just going to ask you this yeah. real quickly. So you went from the state house, right? You were out there. You came in as an outsider. Yeah. You said you were really going to transform things. I remember, I think, one of your lines was, you can't replace Orion with Orion. Uh, elect a guy by the name of Blagojevich. You came in there as an outsider, uh, had the chance to make a difference, to kind of reinvent, like, the uh, three former governors we had before who were imprisoned. But then you found yourself in a similar situation. Tell me this. Going from the state house to to prison, I mean, what was that transition? Like I can't imagine for the uh, strongest uh, boxer in the world that that's going to be an easy transition. Who'd you knock out when you first got there to make sure that uh, you could you could uh, stand to uh, stand there? Well, that's a good question. Again, I have, I have so many stories about those long years away. I mean, that, it was eight years, and uh, no, it's uh, it, it's biblical in the sense that you know I know what it's like to be on a very high mountain as the governor of Illinois, like you say, uh, and I know what it's like to be buried in a deep dark valley. Hmm. Uh, which is what they did to me. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe, you know, I never took a penny. No one's even accusing me of that. It was all politics. And uh, the stuff that, you know, that so-called Senate Senate was eventually reversed by the appellate court. That was a big lie. Uh, that was political log rolling. They kept, they kept me there on three fundraising issues, and I didn't break that law either because there were no promises or threats. They were just First Amendment constitutionally protected right to seek campaign contributions, which is what you have to do in politics, unless you're like our governor, Pritzker, you're born a billionaire. So, yes, uh, no, they they put me in that prison, and, uh, you know, and I, I truly believe they gave me such a, such a, you know, they tried me twice. They didn't convict me the first time on the so-called corruption charges. They moved the line and convicted me on fake law, and then they buried me in prison for 14 years, I believe, because they're trying to bury the truth. And, yes, uh, indeed. And so when I got there, you know, when I got there, I was, you know, determined to be, to begin with, as strong as I possibly can be, because I... I, I have to be strong for my two young daughters, who were blameless orphans. They orphaned my children and my widowed wife, because that's pretty much like you're dead. Now, one thing about this kind of form of death is you do have a chance to come back to life, which is what I've been blessed to have, because President Trump, as the instrument of the good Lord, I truly believe the hand of God is in all of this. I truly believe he helped to bring me back. But your, your question, uh, Raza, uh, what did I do to you know in prison when I got there? One of my first experiences was when I was called in by the by the uh, lieutenants and by the captains because I was walking around the yard, the prison yard, with a black guy mm. from Chicago. And this is a true story. Um, you know, I'm the only governor in American history, I'm sure this is true, who was put in a high-security prison. You know, they give you more than 10 years, you got to go to a higher-security prison. You can't be in the so-called, you know, the camps where, you know, a lot of these people say it's uh, camp club fed. Well, I was in a prison for the first 32 months that was at 900 inmates. There was all kinds of, you know, drug dealers, drug kingpins there, bank robbers. Wow. There were con artists there. There were men who committed murder in the prison I was in, a whole bunch of sex offenders. And so when I first got there, there was a, an African-American guy from Chicago who was on his 16th year in prison. He had a, you know, a whole bunch of time for 
if the, for dealing drugs, by the way. Another example of how corrupt and racist that criminal justice system is, that this guy did so much time as a first-time nonviolent drug offense. And uh, I learned through those years of experience how different the criminal justice system treats a black guy on a first-time nonviolent drug offense and a white guy, even though the two of them are selling the same amount of cocaine. But the black guy is getting 18 to 1 because they treated crack cocaine differently than powder cocaine. And uh, it's terribly unjust and very wrong. And I saw that firsthand. And when I was walking the track with this guy who was being very nice to me, and we talked about home, Chicago. He was from the south side, the Englewood neighborhood. I'm from the north, near northwest side, not far from the Austin neighborhood. We talked about home, and it was you know, nice to have a friend who kind of was looking out for you. It was my second day there. Was, they, called you know, the, uh, the, they called me into the lieutenant's office, and they wanted to try to explain to me what the rules were there. And the custom was you're not supposed to w- spend time or walk around the yard with somebody who's a member of another race. Right. And that they had assigned me to these two guys uh, because they said, you know, the problem is, you know, uh, if you get in trouble and, uh, uh, you know, no one's going to have your back. If you're, you know, on somebody, you know, with somebody else of another race, I remember telling them, look, man, what's been done to me, you know, there's nothing anybody can do in this place that can hurt me. And I spent my whole life trying to treat everybody the same way. We're all children of God. I don't care what color you are or any, what your well, race is. Well, and, and you know what, let, let, let's yeah. talk a little bit about this injustice. Tio, I know uh, through your work in Ceasefire, you deal with recidivism and issues yeah. about socioeconomic uh, inequalities. Tell me what some of your experiences are and maybe kind of talk about uh, uh, what you've learned that we can share with the former governor who seems to have learned it his hard way himself. Well, first of all, I just want to say this. I'm, I'm thankful Governor Blagojevic, he, he knows how to box, number one. When mm-hmm. he went down there, that's just number one, uh, Governor. But at the same time, yeah, I'm the former director of Ceasefire Illinois. And, you know, I ran for governor in 2014 and in 2018. And in 2014, uh, God bless me, we secured 28.1% of the state vote. But the thing is, when it comes to recidivism, when it comes down to criminal justice reform, I'm one of the guys that stood on the front line to advocate for, like, a lot of the voiceless people out here. So it really makes me feel good when I hear you talk about the disparities within the criminal justice system when it comes to African American uh, compared to other races of people. So what I've learned, basically, is that uh, there's not enough education being disseminated throughout the, the United States when it comes down to helping, you know, ex-offenders get back on the right track or helping ex-offenders understand the laws because a lot of people, you know this, Governor, uh, because of a, a lack of economics, a lot of people uh, work on plea deals. They give in the plea deals in the criminal justice system. And I do concur with you. You need to know this. I concur with you when it comes down. I didn't see where you had broken any laws. I'm just speaking for myself. My people in the black community love Blagojevich. Blago, they, they're crazy about you. So you have a lot of supporters in, in the black community. I know that for a fact. But when it comes down to, the, like I say, the disparities, and you look at what's going on right now with uh, excessive force, police brutality, Cook, Cook County being the, uh, the number one county for wrongful convictions, a lot of more work uh, needs to be done. So, Lagorge, I think God has blessed you now to be like a spokesperson and an advocate for the change that's, you know, uh, the future change that's needed here about your experiences. And you know a lot of people I know as well. A lot of my friends know you. They're real 
close with you. So I really applaud you and salute you for coming on against the grain because uh, you could have been doing anything this Sunday, but you're here. You took a chance to come on against the grain, and we plan to ask you a few serious questions. So that's my input there, Brother Raza. Um, and I do want to state that we are getting a lot of calls coming in for you, Governor, um, that we are going to get to. Yeah. And if anyone else wants to dial in, you can you can uh, grill the governor, get his takes on things, uh, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Um, Paul, who do we have on right now? Up first is Roosevelt from right here in Chicago. Okay. Hey, Roosevelt, you're on uh, Against the Green. Yes, thank you for taking my call. How y'all doing today? Doing good. Blessed. Governor, I have a question for you. What do you call what Trump did with Ukraine? Because he did get impeached. Didn't he do the same thing you did mm. when you were the governor of the state of Illinois, which I voted for you, by the way. You used to be a Democrat. Yes. You made a deal, in my opinion. You made a deal with Trump. Now you're on the other side. Now all of a sudden you found Jesus, and and now you uh, you are for minorities. Where were you when Trump was, uh, you know, putting down all the minorities when he first ran? Where were you? Where were you when he said that Mexicans are criminals? I'm Mexican-American. Where were you when he did, said all these things against minorities? You have two daughters. Where were you when he was saying all these things against women? And so uh, my question, again, where, uh, didn't Trump do the same thing? Because he did get impeached. The second president in the history of the United States. Can you explain to me what he did? How can you support a man that has done so much against the youth of America? You have daughters, and I have sons the same age as your daughters. What he has done to this country is horrible. You made a deal. You cut a deal. Now, all of a sudden, you found Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, you're, uh, you're basically a Republican. So, that's just, uh, you, it's, I'm so angry in the things that you're saying. All of it is a bunch of bull, Governor. Yeah. Well, let's give the Governor a chance to respond to this. You know, yes, yeah, so, thank you, Roosevelt. I appreciate you expressing your views. And, uh, yeah, hey, you can't win them all. Roosevelt, let me, uh, let me set the record straight. To begin with, I'm a Democrat for Trump. That's why I call myself a Trumpocrat. I still consider myself a Democrat. And, you know, I just was done at a, speaking at a rally in favor of President Trump where I spoke to uh, the, the, the people there and told them I'm splitting my ticket. And I'm encouraging my fellow Democrats to do the same thing. Vote for the best person who's running for office. Don't be stuck exactly. with uh, either either political party because too often, and I, I know this to be true for the Democratic Party, they take traditional constituency groups for granted. So I'm supporting Dr. Willie Wilson, who's an independent candidate running for the Senate. And, uh, you know, Dr. Wilson is a is a very kind man, a good man, a great self-made man. Uh, this guy, Dr. Wilson, grew up in Louisiana, the son of sharecroppers, the grandson of slaves, came to Chicago in 1965, penniless, got a job mopping floors, flipping burgers at a McDonald's, became yes. the manager, then he took out a loan. He's got a great success story. He's a tremendous philanthropist. He's an outsider. President Trump's an outsider. Uh, I considered myself an outsider when I was elected, albeit I was the first Democrat in 26 years. But I was fighting the Democratic establishment in Springfield, run by Mike Madigan. Madigan, like Biden, that these guys have been in politics for, for 47 years, both of them. And Durbin, our senator, been in Washington for 37 years. They become part of a political establishment, Roosevelt, that really takes you for granted. And worse than that, on your backs, they take care of themselves and all those special interest groups. And it's no accident that Madigan's a multimillionaire today. 
even though he was a public servant since 1972. How does that happen? And Biden got rich uh, all those years as a United States senator. How does that happen? And Durbin got rich all those years as a United States senator. How does that happen? Um, the fact of the matter is the political system in too many ways on both sides is corrupt. What I love about Trump is he's an outsider and he's very different and he's shaking things up. And about these allegations that he's, you know, a racist or anti-woman or anti-Latino, I don't believe any of it. You know, back in the 1990s, the mid-1990s, this is very interesting. At the same time, the Reverend Jesse Jackson was condemning the Democrats, Biden and Durbin and Bill Clinton, when they were pushing through that racist 1994 crime bill. Biden wrote that bill, and Durbin supported it in the House and helped move it out of the House because he was on the House Judiciary Committee. That bill has caused the mass incarceration of young African-American men, okay, who've been consigned to prison, nonviolent first-time offenders, 20, 25, 30 years, giving them no chance at a second chance. The author, Michelle mm-hmm. Alexander, wrote an award-winning book about the new Jim Crow in America. Because of mass incarceration, you could discriminate against somebody, even though it's not because of their race, but because the practical reality is, because it disproportionately screws black men, you can now discriminate against a black guy who's got a felony conviction. So he can't go to get housing at a public housing uh, uh, facility like you used to be able to do because Bill Clinton and the Democrats in the 1990s changed the rule and said that when that poor guy gets out of prison, denied a second chance, he can't even get public housing. Who's going to employ these guys? But who gives them an opportunity to work? For cynical political reasons, my fellow Democrats in high places sold out those young black men and the black community. And, you know, they take the black community for granted. Thank you very much. Uh, for all of the votes that you've given me, I'm so grateful. 90, 95% of the black vote. I got 95% of the black vote yes, in my indeed. re-election campaign. Durbin gets the same thing. Governor, we are going to we are going to get back to you. We do have to get to a commercial break real quick before we go. I do want to touch upon the fact that you said that you are endorsing. You came out last week, um, uh, Willie Wilson for Senate. I do want to talk about that a little because he now faces as um, from the state's Democratic County Chairs Association, his second federal election complaint. Um, And and we want to talk about that a little bit and get your take on that. Uh, And we will get back to that right after these commercial breaks on with Governor Rod Blagojevich. You got T.O. Mr. Ceasefire Hardeman, Raza Siddiqui. We'll catch up with you in a minute. The minority groups in America are severely affected by COVID-19 due to health care and economic inequities. Chicago, now it's your time to make a difference in your community and join the fight against this global pandemic. Loretto Hospital, in partnership with Affinity Health, are seeking healthy volunteers to find a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Interested participants can call 877-L-TRIALS or visit ChicagoCovidVaccine.com to learn more. Ever wonder about the story behind the story? Who are the people you watch delivering the news, filming the scenes, and putting pen to paper to tell the story you read in your morning paper? Tune in to Media Essential Workers on Facebook and YouTube to find out. With constant changes in the Chicago media landscape, one reliable source keeps track of the people bringing you the stories. Media Essential Workers, the premier live stream telling the story of the storytellers. Sunday nights at 7. Like, subscribe, and follow Media Essential Workers to find out about special shows during the week. Hosted by Raza Siddiqui, Media Essential Workers gets the story of the storytellers. 
Against the Grain with Raza Siddiqui and Mr. T.O. Ceasefire Hardiman. We're on with the 40th governor of the state of Illinois, uh, Rod Blagojevich. Rod, you, uh, governor, are you with us still? Yes, I am. And uh, one you. of the things I did want to ask, because you did come out last week supporting um, Willie Wilson for Senate. Uh, as we said before going into the commercials, he's um, had a second federal election complaint filed by the state's Democratic County Chairs Association. Um, and, and basically, let's just get into what it is. I guess it's very heavily self-financed, and there was some uh, disparity about if all disclosures have been pointed uh, in the right direction. Um, I, you know, I've seen events where, where he hands out wads of cash to people um, as part of his campaign strategy. Is he in a way, because I could see the perception he's trying to buy the Senate seat. I know it's not exactly the same sexiness as selling the Senate seat, but address it. I will address it. Well, it's, I see it as very refreshing. It's, let's face it, how many politicians are free and easy with other people's money, but not their own? I mean, here's Dr. Wilson on his own helping poor people. You know, he just... He spent a lot of his money. I mean, think about how much this could have cost him. He, by buying 27 million masks and passing them out to seniors who are unable to afford uh, the masks themselves and protect them. He gave out Walmart gift cards to uh, low-income seniors, to uh, 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 homeless people, to uh, people on second-chance programs. I mean, he uses his own money. Now, in politics, very easy for people to take what somebody does and, and, and interpret it a different way. But I look at what Dr. Wilson does, not using taxpayer money, but using his own, and actually doing the walk, not just the talk. Not just making promises, but actually doing stuff. And it seems to me, after we've had so many years of these career politicians who've been in Washington for way too long, like Dick Durbin, who's been there for, as I said, 37 years, who sold out the black community with that 1994 crime bill, who sold out working people and cost tens of thousands, millions, actually, of factory jobs across America through NAFTA, outsourcing factory jobs to places like China. It's refreshing to have an outsider like Willie Wilson, a self-made man who's got a kind heart and who helps people. So I know some people might interpret it one way, but I view it as two things, a man with a heart of gold and a man who's willing to actually put his money where his mouth is. And that's what he does when he helps poor people. And my Christian faith teaches me... Um, but frankly, that's how you're supposed to be. Very easy, yeah. to, you know, to use the taxpayer money, but it's not so easy to use your own. Dr. Wilson does that. Okay, now, Governor, I have a question for you. One of my people on social media is saying it's hard to play both sides. A guy named L.C. Uh, Matcham is saying it's hard to play both sides. So let me say this first, too. When I ran for governor, we secured 28.1% of the state vote back in 2014, and I never received a call back from the Democratic Party, you know. And I said, here it is. I'm a Democrat. I've won all these votes. And the number of votes Quinn lost to Rauner back then is the number that I won against Quinn. You would think it would have been to their advantage to reach out to me. And so, therefore, I understand what you're dealing with when it comes down to these parties and you have to be kind of independent-minded at different times or another. So could you tell me why you think they never gave me a call back? I'm not looking for nobody to kind of, like, agree with me uh, all the way, but be, by me being an outsider, they was, the polls had me at 5%. We finished with 28.1%. Why you think they never even called me just to embrace me or something like that? You know, I wasn't looking for nothing in particular. I, I, I just believe they should have embraced me. And quickly, I want to say this to you. Uh, when Michael Vick got caught up in the dog fighting scandal, I was one of the guys that helped Michael Vick turn his life.
life around Governor Blagojevich. And God bless wow. me also. And I used to re I used to work with the Humane Society of the United States, and he was uh they assigned me to work with uh, Michael Vick, and he's been doing better ever since then. And then also I hired over 300 ex-offenders when I used to run Ceasefire Illinois. I'm the guy that created the Violence and Erupters. And that's another story there. But I just want to say I understand exactly where you're coming from. Tell so, us a documentary name. Yeah, the Interrupters. The Interrupters. The Interrupters. That's right. PBS Frontline. So, so my question to you, Governor, is why did uh, the Democrat, Democratic Party not reach out to me? But, I mean, was it just because I was an outsider and I was in the way? What, what's the thought process when a person brings in so many votes? I won 30 counties downstate, unheard of, for an African-American candidate at the time, uh, Governor. That's amazing, but I mean, hey, I'm glad you didn't run against me, Pastor. That's right. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, maybe it would have been nice if you did. I would have lost. I'd have never gone to prison. But that's okay. right. That's right. Let, let me talk Silver about LC, your guy, yeah. LC, that, that, quite, that thing that LC said that uh, on your social media. He said you can't play both sides. See, I think it, with all due respect to LC, I think we need more people to actually start looking at it differently. The problem with politics and government today is both sides, the Republicans and Democrats, are so far apart, they're not willing to find common ground. you got to be all one thing or all the other. But it doesn't really work like that in real life. And so when the two parties are so polarized, you got the extreme left wing of the Democrat Party and you got a hard right wing on the Republican Party, they don't find common ground. Most of the people, they don't get the best kind of government they can get. What is so exciting about Willie Wilson, and I would argue Donald Trump, as outsiders, and you, Pastor Hardiman, you're outsiders, you're shaking things up, you come up with new ideas, right. offering new approaches to provide real solutions to the troubles of people. When politics is stuck in the old way, you know, you're either a Democrat or you're a Republican, no problems are solved. And too many politicians, and I accuse the Democratic Party of this, I accuse Biden of this, Dick Durbin of this, and a lot of others. They like to keep it just how it is. They want to throw crumbs to the black community and other communities, say they did something, half measures, they dress up the <laughs> solutions, but they don't want to really solve the problem. Why? Because then you don't need them anymore. Now they can't come back to you and expect you to vote them into office. So when a new guy like you comes in, an outsider, and, and, and is able to actually connect with the voters, and you're talking good sense to them, and they're supporting you, they see you as a real threat and a danger. They're more afraid of you. An outsider okay. like you, a third-party guy like you, than they are Republicans. Because America, frankly, needs to rethink its politics. And Dr. Wilson and you, Pastor Hardiman, President Trump, in a different way, you know, these, new voice, these new approaches, this is good for our country. I think, frankly, we need a new third party in right America. I, I agree with that. A third party that challenges the old way. Totally in agreement with you. Totally. Uh, Governor, we do have another uh, caller coming on. This is Steve from the Gold Coast. Steve, you're on with Tio Hardiman, Raza Siddiqui, and uh, uh, Governor Rod Blagojevich. Yes, I wanted to say thank you for taking my call. I want to make the point, uh, I'm certainly for innovation, and I think we need uh, blood in terms of politics. But at the same time, we need to recognize that public policy is like anything else in, in terms of the technocratic pursuit. It requires education and experience. If one wants to say, uh, I've got a new procedure for open-heart surgery, that's fine. Well, let's get somebody else in there who is trained, who has the credentials, who has years of medical school. We don't say, go get the janitor who's outside buffing the floor and see if he wants to open up somebody's chest. And with all due respect to Willie Wilson, I, I think he's a wonderful man. I think his heart's in the right place. But the man knows nothing of public policy. It's not his field. He's never held a, a position as dog catcher. So why in heaven's name do we think that the Donald Trumps or the Willie Wilsons of the world are qualified 
to make public policy. Mm. I, I went to school for 12 years to earn a doctoral degree in political science, and I'm not qualified to run for certain offices. That's a good thing, Brother Steve. And i just say this real quick, uh, Governor. Uh, the way I look at that to answer that question is that, see, you cannot become the president until you become the president. That's just the way it goes. I mean, nobody really has experience, experience being a president. That's why a lot of the presidents, presidents do win a second term, because they learn a lot the first term, then they become the president again if they do a good job. We'll see what happens with this election tomorrow as we go against the grain. But at the same time, you're not, you're not going to become a U.S. senator until you become a U.S. senator. It's, it's good to have, like, a track record. Don't get me wrong. You might be a local alderman, then you move yourself up the ladder, become a, a state rep, state senator, then you uh, take on a higher level type of office. But it's a job like no other, right? Yeah, like yeah, Barack yeah. Obama did. Yeah. You know, so, but I want to say this to the governor, too, real quick. Now, governor, this is like a heavyweight question here, right? Why is it that a lot of people depend on the black vote in Illinois? Because Cook County is the bounty. Cook County is a very rich black vote. St. Clair County down by East St. Louis, uh, Macon County, Decatur, and uh, Sagamon County, all those different counties. But when it comes down to East St. Louis, it still looks the same way it looked 30 years ago, if you look at the south side of Chicago, you have over a thousand abandoned storefronts on any given block on the south side and the west side. So everybody depends on the black vote. But once they get the office, uh, secure the office, the black community is always left out. And uh, I just want to say that. And you can answer my man's question, too, Brother Steve, from the Gold Coast, uh, Governor. Yeah, well, to begin with, uh, Steve, thank you for your thoughts. I understand your point of view. But don't forget, Abraham Lincoln, what was he? He was... He was a guy that was a lawyer in the, in the 1850s, and then he got elected president. He went from being a lawyer to president. He was a one-term congressman before that. Um, didn't have any executive experience, and I would argue he was been clearly the greatest president in American history. And President Kennedy, when he was interviewing Robert McNamara to be a Secretary of Defense, McNamara, who was the president of General Motors at the time, told Kennedy, I don't know anything about national defense. And Kennedy said, well, I don't know anything about being president. There are no schools. That's what I'm talking you about. you become president, you just learn on the job. But I'll tell you something I learned on the job in politics all those years as a Democratic congressman and a Democratic senator is what you just said, Pastor Hardiman, is exactly right. The Democratic Party owes it to East St. Louis and to the black neighborhoods in Decatur and in Springfield and the south side of Chicago, the southern suburbs, and the west side of Chicago, where I grew up, not far from where I grew up, to do a lot more than what they've done. Right. And it's for cynical political reasons that those problems remain unaddressed. You know, Dick Durbin, he grew up in East St. Louis. Yes. When there was a different community. It was a white ethnic working class community. There were factories there and jobs. He, you would think he'd been senator for so long, things would get better in East St. Louis because that was his hometown. But it, it, nothing is better. And it, there's a reason why they don't solve these problems. There's a reason why the public schools continue to fail. There's a reason why there's no economic opportunity in those neighborhoods. It's because the political leaders on the Democrat side have betrayed and abandoned the black community. And they treat them, forget about the 1994 crime bill, the kind of contempt they treat the black community with, with a whole bunch of lip service, a little bit of stuff here and there, but no fundamental change or improvement. Right. The best way to help energize any community is through economic development and access to capital so that black banks can have money, so they can invest in black businesses and create opportunity in those areas you just talked about, Pastor. How come the Democratic Party all these decades hasn't done that? That's not hard to do. President Trump is actually doing that with Opportunity Zone. And what about the education establishment? I'm a public school student. I'm a part of the Chicago Public Schools. Mm. You know, and my wife went to the parochial schools. You look at our test scores, okay, and I can see she's smarter than me. But she ain't that much smarter. <laughs> you follow me? That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. right How on. come they don't allow parents on the south side or west side of Chicago 
or in East St. Louis to choose where they send their kids to school, giving them more choices. Okay, I've been a big supporter of public education. No one put more money into the public schools as governor as I did. But you know what? After a while, you start saying, we got to do something different. we got to provide some competition. We need to give moms choices on where they send their kids to school because if the neighborhood school ain't so good, I want to send my kids somewhere else. But they don't do that because they're caught up because the, you know, the public employees' unions and the teachers' unions are so powerful in politics that the Democrats can't move they can't offer any changes, and that, frankly, is immoral because you're talking about someone's child and, and denying that child a chance to live and chase the American dream. And you know what? Obama proves this. Willie Wilson proves this. And a whole bunch of other people prove this. In America, if you're given a chance, if you're given a chance to learn certain things, you can be just about anything you want to be. The problem with the African-American community and poor communities around America is that too many cynical politicians aren't given those communities the opportunity to learn the necessary things so they, too, can be Obama, they, too, can be Willie Wilson. Right on. And I think the Democrats are selling out the people. Without a doubt. I appreciate you saying that because I've been speaking that way all along. I'm more like, say, of a progressive, independent-minded individual. And a lot of people are scared when you speak truth to power. But I can tell, Governor, you've been around a lot of good people from all walks of life. We really, really appreciate you. And, and, and uh, Roz, I just want to ask the Governor this, too. So why don't you give us your prediction of this uh, Tuesday's election? That's a question we wanted to put out there. What are you thinking about the election? I'm looking at the numbers. I know in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton brought in 65 million-plus votes. Trump brought in 62 million-plus votes. But Trump won the electoral vote and I understand that so and it's shaping up the same way believe it or not I'm looking at the polls now Trump is leading Iowa you know Biden's doing some things over here and there what are your what are some of your thoughts about the election coming up I'm also Good curious way. if you yeah. can if you can trust the polls I, I'm right. curious on your take on that but great question yes well I don't trust the polls the polls today in modern politics are less about giving an honest account of where the voters are more about using them as political weapons to uh uh, encourage one side and, and suppress and discourage the other side. I, I believe these polls are fake. You know. Yes. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago there was a poll that had uh, CNN had a poll that, you know, Biden was up by 19 points. NBC had a poll that Biden was up by 14 points. I think Biden will likely win the popular vote across the country like Hillary did. But the elections and presidential elections come down to those battleground states. And I truly believe if you look carefully at what happens on the ground. And I'll say this, too. you got to give me a little bit of expert status on this, since, after all, I ran a lot of elections. I never lost any of them. I won every one of them. The only thing I lost was that second jury, and that was unanimous. <laughs> but it was rigged, too. Okay? So I know something about how politics works, and I know that if you're going to trust the polls or you're going to trust what time what's going on on the ground close to where the real people are, put your trust in where the real people are. And what's happening down there? And look at... Pennsylvania, look at Michigan, look at Wisconsin, those battleground states in the Midwest. Look at Ohio and Florida, North Carolina, those battleground states. Trump's having rallies where tens of thousands of people are coming in spite of COVID to cheer him on. Wow. And Biden goes out there and speaks to like 12 people, right, and gives this like sort of feckless kind of address. And, it's, and he's not even running a campaign. I've never seen anything like that before. And in my experience, the candidate who has the energy the candidate that's got the committed volunteers, the candidate who's got people knocking on doors, the candidate who is registering new voters, which is what Trump's people have done in Pennsylvania and in those battleground states, the candidate that, that is out there campaigning and fighting for the vote, those are the ones who win. And the ones who lay back 
and I kind of like just anti the other side, they lose. And I'll say another thing. The candidate that's promising a dark winter, which is what Biden did at that last debate, offering a pessimistic view of where we're going, that candidate don't win. People want hope. Trump is given a positive approach, and in spite of COVID, I think, frankly, he's going to win. And I think he's going to win better this time than he won in 2016. Wow. Uh, we are going to cut to a commercial now, but, uh, Governor, you do bring up COVID, and that is something I want to talk more about. Uh, Tio, you know about this. Uh, the numbers are higher in the African-American community in the South and the West Side. And I, I bring that up because one of our sponsors is uh, focusing clinical trials on that, but I do actually want to discuss uh, w- what we can do about this, what, as a society, we deserve to give to these communities to help them with that. Uh, and we'll ask you about that right when we come back after this, Governor. Okay, good. Interested in being one of the first participants in a COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial in Chicago? Affinity Health is currently seeking healthy volunteers who may be eligible for a COVID-19 investigational vaccine study. This will take place at the Loretto Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. We are looking for people who work as teachers, factory workers, retail workers, or anyone exposed to many people during their workday. Visit ChicagoCovidVaccine.com or call 877-L-TRIALS to learn more. That's 877-587-4257. Ever wonder about the story behind the story? Who are the people you watch delivering the news, filming the scenes, and putting pen to paper to tell the story you read in your morning paper? Tune in to Media Essential Workers on Facebook and YouTube to find out. With constant changes in the Chicago media landscape, one reliable source keeps track of the people bringing you the stories. Media Essential Workers, the premier live stream telling the story of the storytellers. Sunday nights at 7. Like, subscribe, and follow Media Essential Workers to find out about special shows during the week. Hosted by Raza Siddiqui, Media Essential Workers gets the story of the storytellers. Against the Grain with Raza Siddiqui, Tio Mr. Ceasefire Hardiman, and we are on with the 40th Governor of the State of Illinois and previous contestant on Celebrity Apprentice, uh, Mr. Rod Blagojevich. Um, Governor, we had asked you right before going to break about uh, COVID and its disproportionate uh, effect on minority communities. Um, Tio, I'm sure you also have experienced firsthand uh, some of what's gone into this, so I, I want you guys to dialogue. Let's, let's see what solutions we can offer. Well, I'll wait for the governor to kind of give his response first, and we'll talk for a little sure. bit about it. Because I'm on the ground, too. Like the governor talked about being on the ground. I understand COVID by talking to people. I know some loved ones of mine have passed away from COVID-19, a lot of friends. So we'll hear from you, governor, about the COVID plan. What are your thoughts anyway? Yes, no, well, here again, uh, this is another example, and it's a tragic example. But it's really no surprise. Inferior health care in, in, in low-income communities. And uh, disproportionately, those in low-income communities tend to be people of color, black people, uh, Latinos, and others, um, but particularly black people. And it's no surprise that the fatality rate in the, in the black community is higher than in other places. And there are many societal reasons why that's the case. Uh, but it is a health care system that I focused on very much when I was governor. If I were to say there was any priority I had as governor, the most important thing was providing health care to people, access to affordable health care to everyone. I believe health care is, is a fundamental human right, not just a constitutional right. And it's the responsibility of government to provide access to affordable health care where the private sector doesn't. In that area, I may have some differences with how to get to that place with, for example, President Trump and, and you know, the Republican Party. I've got a different approach, and we did that differently in Illinois. But 
uh, again, when you you have communities that economically aren't where they should have been, uh, when they're struggling economically, more and more people live closer together. When you have a virus like this, it's deadly and invisible. It, it's passed along because people are living in close quarters, and because the uh, healthcare facilities in lower-income areas are not as good as other places. Uh, I'm not at all surprised by this, and it's a terrible uh, uh, reality of what's happened. Um, the question is, moving forward, you know, how best can we protect people and how best can we, uh, you know, make the system work fair in the long run? And I, that's why I would talk, argue the need to change the political dynamic and get some new voices in the process because that can only be healthy. And, by the way, uh, Theo, I want to apologize for elevating you to pastor. I yes, right. <laughs> pastor. But I went against the yeah. grain, and I gave you a promotion. Yes, what you did. You right. because, now, that uh, might be a calling yeah. for me, becoming a pastor. That's right. I, I believe right. you have what Better it takes. Be yeah. Yes, indeed. And then, you know, Governor, I believe in restorative justice. I teach as an adjunct professor in the field of restorative justice and criminal justice. So my thing with you, uh, Governor, is I have some ideas for you. Maybe I'll reach out to you after, you know, maybe one day this week and talk to you about a couple of my ideas. But restorative justice is so important for people all across the world and across in here in the United States because you know the United States we incarcerate more people in the United States than any other country in the world right now you have China Russia and the United States the top three for mass incarceration you mentioned uh, the book the prison industrial complex and everything that's going on I'm just glad you got a chance to have a in-depth view of what was going on from the inside now you're out so you can really advocate for people uh, on such a higher level and, and you have a lot of respect I'm talking about all over the place people can say what they want to say but you know you've been through your ups and downs but I have a motto in my life that I've embraced. You may like this. If you ever have uh, been down in your life uh, once before, it's your duty to get right back up because if you stay down too long, you may not have the energy to get back up, uh, Governor. So that's one of my mottos in life, okay? It's a great motto, Theo. Thank you. That's inspiring. You know, there's a great story in the Bible. Now that you're no longer a pastor and yeah. you're now a radio pundit, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm going to put my pastor's hat out, and I'm not a pastor either. But one thing about prison, I'll tell you, there's nothing good about it. But there's one thing you do have too much of, and that's time. But the time you can then spend on things that when you were too busy in life trying to get ahead like I was, racing all the time to get to a high place like I eventually got to, the one thing about prison gave me a chance to read the Bible in a way slower and every day, and then reread it and think about it. And there's a great story in the Bible that goes along to what you just said. And I would ask all of your listeners out there who are going through hard times to look into this. It's chapter 38 to 50 in Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. You know the story? He was a righteous young man, his father's favorite. He had a little bit of swag to him. He liked to wear his fancy clothes. He had that amazing colored dream coat. His older brothers were jealous of him. He told them he had a dream that they would one day bow down to him. They didn't like that, so they sold him into slavery. And then he's there, and he works for this guy, and the guy's wife puts the moves on him. But he's an honorable person. He's not going to sleep with the boss's wife. And she's offended because so she falsely accuses him of something <laughs> he didn't do. And he's thrown into prison for something he didn't do. But because God blesses him with the ability to interpret dreams, he kept the attention of the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in that part of the world back then. And he's able to advise the Pharaoh on a, a famine that was coming and giving him economic uh, advice along the short of it is. He pleases the Pharaoh. He's a he, the Pharaoh makes him a powerful man, makes him the governor of Egypt, as a matter of fact, yes. prime minister. And then the brothers come and they need help. Long and the short of it is, after they see their little brother got to where he got, they were afraid after their father died that the little brother would take vengeance on them for what they did to him. And you know what he said to them? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
<laughs> and I truly believe that, you know, when those of us have to go through the fire, the prophet Isaiah talks about this, the crucible of fire, the fiery furnace of affliction. This is God's way of testing us, challenging us to get to rise to the occasion and to overcome it. Have faith. Fight through it. Be stronger. Be more understanding, more compassionate. Understand the sufferings of others and help. Suffering and service. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King was all about. Yeah. And so, for your listeners who are going through hard times, my advice is embrace it. They don't last forever, and if you handle it the right way, I truly believe you're pleasing the good Lord. And then you'll do some good stuff for people later on, and it, that good that you'll do would never have happened but for the fact that you went through the fire and you went through those hard times. Uh, it's good information. G Governor, you've always been an uh, eloquent orator, and I'm going to ask you this, because uh, you elevated uh, T.O. Hardiman to pastor, brought him back down to radio pundit. I understand you're exploring, uh, uh, you, you know, a new delve into radio yourself. It's not so new anymore, but tell us about uh, Lightning Rod. What is Lightning Rod? How can people hear well, you more? Yeah. Yes, no, thank you. I'm, I'm part of the pundit class like you guys. Punditocracy. That's it. <laughs> I, I have the Lightning Rod podcast, and I do these cameos. Where I do these messages to people. They ask me to send a birthday message. You know, daughter says, my mom's having a birthday, and hey, uh, Blago, can you... Sandra, happy birthday, and say, hey, uh, happy birthday. I understand as, a, as moms go, you're effing golden. I get a lot of requests like that. Or, you know, I got a friend who just lost his job. You know what it's like to get your ass kicked in life. Uh, can you give him a pep talk? So I do these cameos, and we have our the Lightning Line podcast. I do this with my friend Mark Vargas, the mystery man who helped me come out of prison. Hmm. And we pontificate about the politics of the day, and I give my predictions and my insights. And I try to tell real-life stories about politics in, you know, pretty high places. I mean, I frankly was the governor of the fifth biggest state, and so when you're up that high, uh, you can uh, you can pretty much call anybody you want in the world, and they call you right back. And uh, and then, of course, when calamity strikes, suddenly no one calls you back. But that's human <laughs> nature. And I, I like to think that, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about stuff that's of interest to people. And eventually what I'd like to do is, you know, I'm looking to write a, a couple of books, looking on one right now, just to kind of writing things. I want to write a, write, write a book about overcoming adversity, because I think that could be helpful to a whole bunch of people. Nobody is immune to adversity. We all face hard times. For some of us, it's worse than others. For others, it's worse than it is for us. But you know that the, the woman that wrote the stories about Harry Potter, I think her name was J.K. Rowling, she, uh, she was a single mom, and her husband left her, and she was in a little apartment in London, downcast, barely able to pay the rent, and she contemplated suicide, but she never did it. She went on to write these magnificent stories. Now she's a billionaire, and even though that story is unlikely to be what will happen to the rest of us who go through hard times, most of us aren't going to probably become billionaires. This woman said, rock bottom was a solid foundation upon which I rebuilt my life. And what I'd like to be able to do is write a book about what you do when calamity strikes and your life has been brought to ruin when they've taken you off a high mountain and buried in a deep dark valley when they separate you from the people you love most in the world and make you live in a faraway place where you can't see them that often what is it that you do to overcome that and the, and the big last insight i would give you is this in my experience what i learned is love if you have love in your life you can overcome anything love mm. gives you meaning it gives you purpose being strong for my two daughters and for my wife gave me a reason every day to get up in the morning. And then if you have faith that, you know, this is God's way of testing you, if you can work through those hard times, you can spend those wilderness periods planting the seeds, 
for what can be future success or at least future happiness and a better life for the people that you love as well as for yourself. So I'm going to be able to write a book like that and yeah. maybe encourage people and help them, no matter what their adversities might be, because it's inevitable for all of us. You know, life is filled with ups and downs and with tough times. Now I can see that book being a top seller, and I said this too also, also uh, uh See, a Martian could come to, to Illinois on a UFO and descend here on the earth with a duffel bag full of money and a three-piece suit and run for office in Illinois <laughs> because of the system, and he can be like a part of one of the machines, and he would still win the election because it appears that people want symbol more so than substance. And just because you're a billionaire, you have all this money, that does not mean that you should be the uh, anointed person to become, you know, a governor a president just because you have big money. So I'm hoping that more of the working class people, their voices can be heard and people, you know, that run for office that come from, you know, the ground level. That's very important. Just like yourself, Blagojevich, uh, uh, you came from the ground level, you rose to the top. I would love to see people like that in office anytime, more so than people that don't know what it means to rob Peter to pay Paul. They don't know what it means to go on your, your kid's piggy bank to get bus fare. You know, we want some regular working class people in these uh, political offices, uh, Governor. Yes, and uh, I sure can't wait for you to run again for office so I can vote for you as often as I possibly can, which is only be one time, of course. You don't do that right. That's right. But, that's you know, right. Your point's well taken. Look, health care to me was the biggest issue because in my own personal life story, my own experience, what, 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 what set my priorities when I was in a position of power when I was governor. Now, I, for the first time in my life, I can actually do something meaningful for people. As a congressman, you can't. There's that whole process there, you're pretty much just giving speeches and you're voting on stuff, but you're one of 435 members. But now you're the governor, you're the big dog. Now you've got some real power, you can really do stuff. Mm. And so, you know, what informed my priorities was my own life experience, just like you say. My father, a factory worker, immigrant, and my mom worked for the Chicago Transit Authority, CTA, passing out transfers at the subway station. Okay. But I saw as a child growing up, my cousin, he was 12 years old, he died of leukemia. I saw my cousins Carol and my cousin Patsy, they were young moms, pretty young moms. They both died of breast cancer. And they didn't have access to early mammograms and pastures. So all kids, when we did all kids for all the kids, was because of my life experience with my cousin Eli, who died when he was 12 because he had leukemia, and his mom and dad lost his little small business because they had no insurance. Hmm. And then we did the breast and cervical cancer screening program that provided mammograms and pastures to all uninsured women. 153,000 of them, most of them black women because they don't have access to health care. And early detection saves lives, 95% survival rate if you catch the cancer early, but a 26% survival rate if you don't. So my cousins didn't have that kind of wherewithal, and so they didn't have early detection. They both died as young moms. And so when I became governor, I pushed that stuff. On the mammogram one, I couldn't get mad again. That cynical political boss that runs the Democratic Party in Illinois to call the bill. Hmm. Well, Jones was all for it in the Senate, but Madigan wouldn't do it because he was playing politics, protecting special interests. So I did it on my own, executive order. And I said, if you don't like it, sue my ass. My man. But it couldn't sue me over that. You know what I'm saying? It couldn't yes, sue me over that because, you know, people aren't going to like that. Yeah. But eventually I did enough of that stuff that really pissed them off, and eventually when they had their chance, they threw my ass out of office. Yeah. But I take great pride in that. Because I didn't forget where I came from and I fought for them. So my point is, the problem is, sometimes, though, when you finally get out of that kind of neighborhood you came from and you find yourself in a high place like the United States Congress or, in Durban's case, the United States Senate, you know what too many of them do, Theo? They forget where they came from. They become part of that club. And now they're excited to be in that club because it's good for them. And so they tend to, 
be more establishment-oriented than they are actually being on the side of the people from where they came. And not all of them, but a lot of good, decent people out there. Danny Davis, Bobby Rush, Jan Schakowsky, Democratic congressmen and women, great people. They really care about people. They haven't forgotten where they come from. But there are too many politicians like Durbin whose wife becomes a lobbyist and he becomes a multimillionaire because she's able to, with her connections, and he votes on stuff that impacts her business, she's able to make a whole bunch of money. But when he does that stuff, he's supporting special interests on the backs of regular people uh, like he did with the 1994 crime bill and with uh, NAFTA. Okay, that's good, uh, Governor. I started to say, Brother Governor, right on. You know, you're talking my language. Appreciate you. Well, Governor, appreciate we, we appreciate you coming on and uh, speaking kind of truth to uh, to power and going against the grain and talking about some of the less popular opinions. Again, uh, T.O. Hardiman, myself, Raza Siddiqui, this is what we right. want to do is give a voice uh, to as much of the community mm-hmm. as we can and, and, and get that out there. So um, we appreciate all of you joining us today, and we look forward to joining you every Sunday, 3 o'clock. Thank you again, Governor Rod Blagojevich. T.O. Hardiman, T.O. Mr. Ceasefire Hardiman, and Raza Siddiqui signing out. See you next Sunday. Right on.